a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue The birds are singing, I got nothing to do Hey, 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 hey It is sunny day My pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare it's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. We'll be getting back to your calls in just a few minutes here. The number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. We wanted to start, though, the top of the hour feature, talking about water-wise landscaping for our park strips. And today we have a special guest with us, Savannah Peterson. Savannah is a horticulturist who works for the Central Utah Water Conservancy District and is in charge of the Flip Your Strip program. And Savannah, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. But I think a lot of folks need to know, everybody's been, not everybody, a lot of folks have been super excited about flipping their strips. We can see from all the programs across the state. But how do we start? Like, say I want to, I'm going to go out today and I want to get started. I want to flip my strip, but I've had lawn out there for, you know, quite some time. How do I start? Make sure that that lawn doesn't grow up through it. And yeah, tell us how to get started. Great. Yeah. I want to preface this because I'm biased towards those incentive programs you mentioned. Before you remove your grass, I would make sure to check to see if you're in an eligible area uh, because you might as well get paid for it if you're going to do the project. Um, uh, And I would go to utahwatersavers.com to look and see if you are eligible, look into some of those requirements. But if you're just doing it for the sake of water savings, you don't live in an eligible area. Um, There are a couple things to do before you start. Before you even start um, removing your grass, I always tell people to have a plan before <laughs> beforehand. Measure your area, see what you have to work with, throw out what kind of plants you are interested in planting in there. Check your irrigation system to see if you are if it's going to be an easy switch to drip irrigation. Um, sometimes people start removing their grass and then find out there's a big problem with one of those. <laughs> one of those key components, and then it's too late because your grass is already gone and you just have bare dirt. Um, <laughs> but for grass removal, we usually recommend um, you can use glyphosate. Um, that's, that's not the district recommending herbicide use or anything, but that, that's a good option to get rid of grass, a good kill-all option. Um, if it's the summer months, you can use um, some plastic sheeting, a solarization technique that kind of bakes the grass, um, kill it down to the roots. You want to leave that plastic sheeting on for a couple of weeks, usually sometimes a little longer, to make sure it's dead down to the roots. That's usually the key component to making sure your grass isn't going to come back later 
can cause problems in your new park strip. You got to kill it down to the roots first because as soon as you don't want grass someplace, it's a weed and it's really good at coming back. So once you've got your, once you have your grass dead, it's removed, you make sure and killed it to the roots. Are you to the point that you're planning what kind of plants are going in yet? Yeah, I, I usually tell people before you even start removing your grass, have a plan of at least some options of plants you want in. Um, see if they're available, see when you can get them in stock, call around to local nurseries. But, but do that before you remove your grass because the shorter amount of time your park strip um, is bare or under construction, the less likely you are to get a fine by your city, have neighbors complain. So know what you're going to do before you remove your grass. Um, so- so then after we do all of that, Savannah, how do we prepare that area before we start planting anything? Yeah, so I usually check. You could get a soil test done. Um, BYU Soil Testing Lab offers a soil testing service, as does Utah State University. You can mail those in. Um, I believe there's drop-off boxes, um, at least at the BYU Center. A soil test will help you know if you need to add any Amendments to your soil before you start planting something else, that's a good way to make sure that your future plants are going to be healthy for a long time. Good to know what's in your soil anyway. So get a soil test, make any necessary amendments, uh, plan out your irrigation quickly. And folks uh, can stop by at the sprinkler store. Mm -hmm. Um, There's several irrigation uh, specific stores that you can stop by. And depending if you show them your plan, they can get you appropriate drip for that. And that's what I'd recommend doing on that end. I Absolutely, yeah. Talk to experts throughout this whole process. They're, they're very helpful. Those sprinkler supply places are, are great. I understand there's a couple that if you pay a fee, they'll help you plan out your irrigation setup for the project area. And then sometimes you can use They'll give you that feedback for in-store credit so that you can buy the parts there that you need. So there's some great options there. Um, there are also some free classes available online. Again, some available at Utah Water Savers or localsweeps.com. Uh, if, you wanna, if you're a beginner for irrigation and you want to learn how to install drip. Uh, but I, after you've removed your grass, do the soil prep, plan out your irrigation, and then you can start uh, actually planting so here's a question for you, and I cut off Maria. I apologize. No worries. Do you just have any plants that you recommend that flower, you know, well, but are just easy to take care of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in general, just because your audience is so wide um, and all of the Utah growing conditions are so different, there's some characteristics to look for in park strip plants that'll help them be more successful. And these are good basic principles to look for in your plants, but your plant recommendations will vary across the state pretty widely. Those good traits to look for are heat and drought tolerance, something not too tall because you don't want to cause any view blocking by planting something really tall, unless it's a tree. Um, And then salt tolerance is another good one, especially if you live someplace snowy where they're going to be pushing snow and road salts onto your park strip during the winter months. So those are things to look for no matter where you live in the state. Um, But some basic plants that I like, um, stone crops are a great option. Which we discussed today. Stone crops are another name for sedum. 
Yes, yes. Junkrab, blanket flower. There's a lot of pixies or coreopsis is the other name. Chocolate flower uh, is a great one. These are all the ones I'm naming right now, all full sun options. Uh, prostrate or low-growing junipers, if you want something evergreen that'll have color year-round. Ice plants are fun. They have cool, almost metallic flowers. Um, buckwheats are an interesting one. I, I like them. They look kind of like a truffula tree from Dr. Seuss. Uh, red yucca is a great option, especially if you like that more naturalistic, deserty look. And red uh, yucca will I, bloom for the entire summer. Yes, they're incredible. Bright red blooms. Um, I would I would look for a smaller variety, maybe brake lights, but a, a great option. There's some dwarf lavenders. Um, trees, there's a lot of different trees that you could plant in a park strip. Often cities will have a tree recommendation list for park strips. You could call your city or look at the municipal code, which is a very fun document to read. But they will often have trees that grow well. The tree plants are written by certified arborists that work for the city and know the environment really well. So I would look into those, but I like uh, common hackberry, city spray, zelkova. There's a few zelkovas that are good. Uh, tree lilac, you like something flowering. Um, fruitless flowering plums and crab apples can be a good option. I would make sure to get something fruitless so that you're not making a mess of your sidewalk. Uh, Savannah, what would you say? Yeah, you have some great options there. What would you say is the biggest misconception people have when they go into a project like this? Yeah, one thing that we see a lot, our programs at the Central Utah Water Conservancy District and for other water districts, our programs require people to put plants back into a park strip. So not, not any of this removing grass and just putting rocks everywhere, just bark everywhere. And there's a few reasons for that, even if you're not participating in one of the programs. I, I would recommend people reconsider just putting rocks in their park strip. Um, you're going to end up with a pretty hot environment. It's not going to be very pretty. Often weed problems spark up. Um, soil health goes down. Biodiversity goes down. You're not getting the great cooling effects of grass or new plants. Um, so that that is a a bad option in my mind. I'm biased against it, but there are a lot of drawbacks. Um, we also think, I, I think that one misconception people had is that it's going to be no maintenance. I don't know of any area in a landscape that is no maintenance. No matter and rocks what you are, do. have a lot of maintenance. You have to spray for weeds a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so even if you're going to put plants back in, know that weeds are always going to be an issue. They're blown in by Blown in by the wind, if nothing else, you know, there's you might have less maintenance. You're not going to be mowing your lawn all the time. You're not going to have to fertilize as often, that kind of thing. But you are going to have some maintenance. Don't go into this thinking you're never going to have to touch it again. Okay, we have a lot of great demonstration gardens across the Wasatch Front uh, Conservation Garden Park. Yeah. We were based in water. Uh, the Botanical Gardens, the USU Botanical Gardens, there are a lot of great places for people to see things. Mm-hmm. But is there a place that people can go and see uh, examples of different park strips so they can get some ideas of maybe what they might want to do? Absolutely. And you named one of them, actually. The Conservation Garden Park has a whole display section of their garden that is just park strip designs. And they have those designs actually drawn up professionally on their website as well. So you can go in person, see what it looks like planted, but then you can also see an example of how you would plan that out in your own park strip on their website. So that's a great option. It's a large portion of their 
garden that you can just go wander around. Okay, you mentioned utahwatersavers.com is one of the resources people should check out. Any other resources for folks? Uh, yes, utahwatersavers.com. There are a couple of really good Facebook gardening groups. Um, another one would be localscapes.com. That has a lot of prepared designs, classes, links to uh, nurseries and landscapers in the area that may be able to do some of this water-wise landscaping work for you. So lots of pictures to give you some inspiration. So Savannah, we're running up against a commercial break, Mm -hmm. but it's been awesome to have you on and full of information and we really appreciate it. Thanks for all of your help today. Thank you so much for having me. have you on again. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Bye. And again, our guest this morning has been Savannah Peterson. She's a horticulturist who works for the Central Utah Water Conservancy District and is in charge of the Flip Your Strip program. Coming back with your calls, LaDon is on the line next. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can text us 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Back to our phone lines this morning. LaDon is in Orem. Good morning, LaDon. What was your question? Hi, I have two questions. Um, The first one is my peaches aren't quite ripe and they're getting little brown freckles on them. I was wondering if I should put some fertilizer on them or how I can get rid of the freckles. Don't fertilize them because nutrition has nothing to do with the spots on the peaches. And I'll have you look up two different things. One of them, well, are the speckles, are they red turning to like a brown or almost black? Or kind of a purpley? They're just brown? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. just out of caution, look up a disease called shot hole fungus on peaches. Shot, S-H-O-T? Yep, shot hole fungus. Okay. Make sure it's not that. And then the other one to look up is a disease called brown rot. And Mm. you don't want that getting started in your peaches. And it's common when we have late summer monsoonal moisture like we've been getting. Now, some other things that could be causing these are insects maybe feeding and causing Mm -hmm. the blemishes. It doesn't sound like it, but... It's something to look at. Stink bugs are infamous for feeding on fruit like that. But the spots mm-hmm. they cause are more dimpling to where you'll see a little brown spot and it's sunken into the peach itself. No, they're not sunken. 
And then one other thing is hail damage that could cause these where the hail hit the fruit. Mm -hmm. And then a few weeks later, they kind of scar over. Okay. All right. So here's the next question. So in one place, I have tomato plants. And in one place, the leaves are getting brown on the edges. And in another place, they're planted in another place. And the... um, branches and the leaves of part of the tomato plant is just turning yellow and dying. And then there's green parts that are living and I'm still getting tomato plants, or tomatoes, but the leaves and some of the branches are dying on on part of it. It sounds like you may have some diseases in there. What I would do is take some pictures and get some samples of leaves that are in the process of dying and take them over to the diagnostic clinic at the USU Botanical Center. Call them Monday morning and find out when their clinic is, and then bring those mm-hmm. samples in and let them take a look. Okay. Because a visual diagnosis say, on those tomatoes is so much better than trying to do something over the air. I was just going to try some fertilizer. That won't hurt them, really. won't hurt them, but it won't. if it's disease, it won't help at all. Oh. So, and you don't want to be fertilizing now because it will cause green growth and at sacrificing the tomatoes. So, so I wouldn't, not, unless it's just miracle Grow, I would not do any fertilizer. It's special fertilizer for tomatoes. It, the tomatoes don't know that. I mean, it's just no. fertilizer, honestly, in a marketing gimmick, gimmick. I apologize for being a little blunt. But there is no such thing as special fertilizer for tomatoes. It's just marketing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks, LaDawn, for your call this morning. Thank Uh, you. Have a good day. You too. too. Bye-bye. Next listener. Stop being so blunt, Ton. Next listener is uh, wondering how to get get rid of mallow in their yard. Oh, common mallow. Uh, Good lawn weed killer. Um, Trimac, ortho weed be gone, plus... Quint, you know, Q4 plus, there's a lot of different ones out there, mm-hmm. but as long as it's not coming from the box store and it's the cheapest stuff on the shelf, it should do a decent job. But a lot of times our farm stores and garden centers have not say stronger, but better quality things that you can spray on your lawn. And I would work with one of those, but uh, just any, if it's in the lawn, any good lawn weed killer. Uh, next person would like to know. You're going to add something? No. Okay, just a good breath. Uh, next person would like to know if they should add iron, if they want to add iron to a maple tree this fall, um, as well as in the spring, when would they apply? I would apply sometime in mid to late October mm-hmm. because the roots are still actively uptaking nutrients. And then again in mid-March. And in addition to the iron, I would see if you could find a micronutrient package and put that down at the same time, maybe with some liquid humate to help uptake and see if that helps. We're finding that especially in autumn blaze maple that the deficiencies are not just iron. There could be some manganese, um, magnesium, boron, copper, some different things. And so when you put that down, I would water it all in with a with a liquid chelate to see if that helps with uptake and do that in the spring and fall. Okay. Sybil is on the line in West Point. Well, good morning. Hi, I've got a comment and a question. Okay. Fun to talk to you. 
Um, I lived in Georgia for two years where kudzu grows. Kudzu can grow up to like two to four inches a day. And um, the state would come and spray the fields. It would take them four years to kill a kudzu. The farmers would plow it for three years. And this woman came in with 200 goats, and she had an electric fence. And those goats ate that kudzu down and killed it in one summer. Would that work for these uh, terrible, deep-rooted weeds we have here in Utah? Not generally. Um, They're so deeply rooted that eating them down for a year would greatly diminish them, but they wouldn't just die. So like, for example, we have a weed called white top that can be terrible. It can be sprayed out fairly easily, but it, it roots everywhere. And it's not as aggressive as kudzu, but it's still very aggressive. But 70% of the biomass of white top is underground and to deplete that energy with goats, if they would eat it, which they can, but it's also, you kind of let them eat it until the goats get a little bit woozy and then you swap them out for a fresh goat. <laughs> <laughs> and so it would take two or three years of this to kind of get rid of them. So in situations, it is very effective. I know that up in Cache County, there's been some success controlling Dyer's Woad in areas with goats and sheep, and I think that they've had some good success. So I think it's going to be situational on the particular weeds. Okay. And then my other question, for, it was fun to watch the goats. They didn't get woozy on kudzu, though. <laughs> um, uh, hydrangeas. How how can I be successful with hydrangeas? Planting the proper species. So okay. I would stay completely would away from big leaf hydrangea, which is what is usually grown in places like Georgia and the great big six inch balls on them. Just stay away from it. Um, the Latin name on it is hydrangea macrophylla, and I would veer toward um, the. Annabelle hydrangeas, and it has several relatives, oak leaf hydrangeas, panicled hydrangeas, and those three species do quite well here. Okay, what side of the house do I need to put them on? East or just out in the sun. Don't put them on a hot south exposure. Put put them on the east side, okay. Or in sun away from a building. Oh, Okay. All right. I have some on the east side, but they're half a day shade. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be just fine. Yep. We're out of time. We've got news coming up. So we really appreciate your call. Thank you so much for your call this morning. And we do need to take a break. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us, 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.